The lesson is in John's Gospel, page 1086 in these. 1086. John 18, verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Well, if you were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, hail, king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. 
From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gavatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to rest upon us now. May the written word lead us to the living word. And may he give us a holy dissatisfaction with anything that's not your best for our lives. Amen. Thank you, David. That was quite a lengthy reading. Ooh, are we okay? Quite a lengthy reading, but wow. Very sobering, isn't it? Today in our encounters with Jesus, we hear the beginnings of the Easter story. We meet an angry crowd and a man sitting on a very uncomfortable fence. I wonder if you've ever sat upon a fence it's quite an uncomfortable thing to do, actually. The wood is usually very thin, and it cuts into the backs of your legs, and it's quite difficult to balance on, so you have to kind of keep shifting your weight, don't you? Shift your position in order not to fall off one way or the other. It's not really a thing designed for sitting on. It's designed for marking boundaries or possibly keeping things in or out of a space. But it's definitely not a place to rest and relax or spend any length of time, really. So why do people do it, I wondered. I did my usual thing, asked a few people. This is what they said to me. They said, well, it gives you a moment to rest if you're heading up a steep hill. I do that. don't know if you've ever done that. I do that. It allows you to catch your breath take stock and decide where you really want to go next. We, my friends and I, we concluded fence sitting might not be very comfortable. If you don't know what to do next though, it can be handy, but it's not a long-term solution. It's not a long-term strategy at all. As the crowd delivers Jesus over to Pilate, a powerful yet worried politician in the service of the Roman Empire. He is very definitely sitting on the fence about Jesus. He has power, 
but he definitely doesn't have peace of mind. He shifts about, trying to find a comfortable spot, but it doesn't work for him. In and out of the building he goes, first talking to the crowd and then talking to Jesus and then back again. He wants to keep everyone happy, but it's proving an impossible task. Sometimes you can't keep everyone happy. Sometimes you have to make a choice. Now, I didn't find this reading easy, to be honest. I read it from four different translations of the Bible when I sat down to prepare the sermon, hoping that one of them would make it easier to engage with. But it didn't work. Whatever translation I read from, I found human frailty. I found people, even religious people, who rejected Jesus and sought their own way and their own glory. To be honest, as I read, I found myself hard-hearted and self-centered. It made me quite sad. Do follow the text, if you have it in front of you, as we work our way through. And as we go, let's ask the Holy Spirit to move within us, to reveal to us not simply how dreadful the characters we read about were. Of course, that must have been a terrible mob, mustn't it? But also, let's ask him to reveal to us when our lives follow their lead, rather than the lead of Jesus, the one whom we should love and serve. So, just to set the scene, our reading opens first thing in the morning, the day after Jesus' arrest. It's also the morning before the Passover feast when traditionally the Jewish people celebrated God's coming in power to save his people from their enemies at the time of the exile in Egypt. The religious council has been up all night interrogating Jesus. They're convinced that they need to do away with him. So first thing in the morning, they take Jesus round to Pilate to have him pronounce judgment. In the sharpest of ironies, they refuse to enter Pilate's residence because entering the house of a Gentile would make them ritually unclean and so unable to eat the Passover meal. They are so fussy about keeping their religious rules, but they're happy to plot against Jesus' life. They don't want to spoil their act of worship their religious celebration, but they're quite happy to have their hearts full of hate, happy to murder the Son of God. How ironic. But lest we get too critical, I wonder, as a religious community, how often we get our priorities a little upside down. How often, in the name of religious propriety, do we reject Jesus in the shape of a person who doesn't do things the way we do them? How often do we have judgmental hearts full of hate and anger when we come to church? 
How often do we reject Jesus in the shape of the person who is not like us, the person unfamiliar with our expectations, who talks through the prayers or even sits in our preferred seat, or the child that sings and chatters in the quiet bits of the service that we cherish. As the family of God, we should welcome anyone who comes here looking for him. Whether they share our musical taste, our politics, our education, our background, our lifestyle, or our expectations, in the name of Jesus, we should welcome them. Whether they understand and appreciate our funny ways or not. Perhaps there are times when we need to say sorry to God for putting our religious ways before him and making them more important than his love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, in verse 29, we meet Pilate. He is, to be honest, curious about all the fuss, but a bit kind of nonplussed. He can't quite work out why the Jews want him to get involved. As a Roman official, he has no great love for the Jews, and he's not very concerned with a local religious dispute. But he is trying to work out if there are any serious political ramifications to cover his own back, really. It's his job. This would have been why he provided soldiers for the arrest of Jesus the previous evening. He sees these doings as a little local squabble, when in fact we know they are of global significance. The Jewish crowd reacts defensively to his question, and in so doing, they reveal their hand immediately. The Jewish punishment for blasphemy was death by stoning, and they had tried this already twice without success. We hear about it in chapters 8 and 9, if you want to look back. They can't deal with Jesus themselves, and they want Pilate to do their dirty work for them. They want him to condemn Jesus to death. They immediately lay out their stall. They don't have any interest in a fair trial or an inquiry. They've already decided Jesus is guilty. What they want is for Pilate to rubber stamp an execution. They're quite clear about that. I wondered, just as an aside, how often we come to God with our troubles, supposedly asking for his help. But really, we want him to rubber stamp our plans. When we have big decisions ahead, life-changing choices to make, do we come to God genuinely asking him to guide our paths in matters big and small or do we make a plan and ask him to bless it do we ask god's view on where we buy a home whether we accept a job or a promotion or who we marry is it's really quite a challenging question i think but it's an important one for all of us I'm convinced that there is no safer place for our lives to rest than in the hands of our Saviour. But it often requires courage. 
and always seems to need patience to put things before him and wait for his answer and his direction for our future. As a church and as individuals, perhaps we need to bring him the whole of our lives, our activities and our relationships, the bits we love and the bits we'd rather change, and ask his Holy Spirit to breathe life into them, to bless and cause to flourish the things that please him, and to relinquish to him the things that do not please him, and replace them with things that bring honour to his name and extend God's kingdom here on earth. That could be challenging if he asks us to let go of things we're really quite fond of. We take that risk. The Jewish crowd have no such desire. They know exactly what they want and they persist in calling for Pilate to condemn Jesus. And yet, we're told in verse 32, even in this God's will is being unfolded. You might recall a few weeks ago when we read the story of Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus, he spoke of the need for himself to be lifted up like the bronze snake on a stick that saved the Israelites in the desert from poisonous snake bites. Only this time, the salvation would not be only for the Jews, but for all humankind who turn to him for salvation. This time, it's Jesus hung up high for all to look to. Jesus knows himself to be, even in this most dreadful of circumstances, in his Father's will. Very sensibly, Pilate turns to Jesus with his questions. But he's left bemused when Jesus answers his question with one of his own. In answer to Pilate's questions, Jesus redefines kingship altogether. And here we can learn something more from Jesus. Sometimes people have completely the wrong idea about what Christianity is actually about. They rail against things and disbelieve things that are not what Jesus represents at all. It's our job as believers living in the world to live in such a way that redefines it for them. True Christianity is about relationship with our Saviour, not about rules. It's about redemption, not about rejection. It's our privilege to represent our Lord everywhere we go to our place of work, to our school, our home, our neighbourhood. And as we do so, we bring definition to what it really means to be in relationship with Jesus. That's what it means to live like the kingdom is near. To drive your car, to do your shopping, to go out for a drink, to live in such a way 
that corrects people's misconceptions simply by living in a way that honours God. Not just at church, but all the time. Pilate cannot find Jesus guilty. And although he's still full of questions himself, he speaks out in support of Jesus. Three times he declares his belief in Jesus' innocence, but the crowd will have none of it. Although Pilate is appalled by their viciousness, that must be saying something, mustn't it? He tries to back away, but he refuses to come off his fence entirely. And the Jews insist that having claimed he is the Son of God, Jesus deserves to die. Now this last little bit, this is news to Pilate and it causes him to be afraid. His Roman superstitious fear of angering the gods causes him to return to Jesus for a further revealing exchange. In his frustration at Jesus' silence, he exclaims, Do you not understand who I am? How powerful I am? I could set you free or I could take your life. Jesus answers in quiet confidence. The only power you have was given to you from above. Jesus knows he's in the Father's will and that no earthly power controls his fate. This is not some sort of cosmic accident, a moment when God's perfect plan is hijacked by an angry crowd. These things are happening because God allows it. Pilate appears convicted, but he can't convince the crowd. He has Jesus flogged, often a cruel precursor to an even crueler death on the cross, and he presents Jesus battered and bruised to the crowd, baying for his blood. In dressing him mockingly as a king in a purple robe and a crown of thorns, Pilate kind of dramatizes what a harmless, pitiful figure Jesus is. No threat to the state at all. But it only serves to incense the Jewish crowd further. So, they pull the Roman trump card. The threat that to take Jesus' side against theirs would appear to Rome that he was supporting a revolutionary. Pilate gives in. He hands Jesus over and the crowd delights to shout, we have no king but Caesar. What a thing for a Jewish crowd to say. The crowd and Pilate have finally come off the fence, but sadly for them, they've landed on the wrong side. They've chosen the world They've chosen against the kingdom of God. As the Jewish world prepares to celebrate the Passover, the sacrificing of a lamb to recall a previous occasion when God came to the aid of his people, 
and rescued them against all the odds. So the Roman world prepares to slay the true Paschal Lamb for their sin. The crowd has arrested an innocent man as though he was a bandit. And then it shouts for the release of a bandit at the expense of an innocent man. In a poetic parallel, John places this condemning of Jesus at midday on the day of preparation. That's the exact hour at which, by Jewish law, the sacrificial lambs were beginning to be slaughtered for the Passover. It's not an accident. It's a picture. Jesus had said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The Jewish crowd chose to listen instead to the world and Pilate, in fear of his own position, chose to follow them. In the very first chapter of his book, John reminded us that Jesus came to make the Father known to us. That's verse 18. And he asks us to make a choice. When it comes to Jesus... There is no sitting on the fence. Either he is the Son of God, who gave up his life freely so that we might be restored to relationship with our Heavenly Father and be assured of that eternally, or, quite simply, he is not. As we come now to gather around the table, We're invited to receive gifts of bread and wine to remind us of Jesus' life and death and resurrection to eternal life, surrendered and yet freely given in love for our sakes. He chose to submit to his Father's will, not the will of Pilate or the will of an angry crowd, and in so doing, He offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of all humankind. No longer is salvation offered only to a small select group of people, but to anyone who chooses to turn to him. And so, he invites you, like Pilate, to stop balancing on that uncomfortable fence, to have courage and to put your life completely in his hands. There is no safer place for it to be. As we hear again the communion prayer, which tells the story of our Heavenly Father's plan of love for all humankind, I want to invite us all, as a community and as individuals, to bring our whole lives to Jesus inviting him to be in charge of every detail, both the bits we cherish and the bits we're desperate to change. Let's give it all to him. Let's climb down off the fence and make today the day we choose to honour God in everything, in every word and every thought and every deed. 
Let us choose today to live like the kingdom of heaven is near and to live every moment for him in response to that most amazing gift of love. Amen.